Recent studies have estimated that medical errors are the third leading cause of death in the United States. Unfortunately, racial and ethnic minorities who receive inferior medical treatment are often subjected to higher rates of preventable medical errors. If not properly mitigated by open communication, the impact of medical errors can lead to erosion of trust between healthcare providers and their patients. I'm Dr. Karina Ostani. And I'm Dr. Pindela Erika Choa. And this is Hey Doc, Let's Chat. Hello, hello, listeners. Welcome back to our show. Welcome back, guys. We have a special guest with us tonight. Do you want to introduce our friend? Yeah, so we have Dr. Veronica Gerdo, and Veronica is a longtime friend, actually. We went to undergrad at Pitt together, so she is also a Pitt grad along with Corinne and I. Go Pitt! So uh, Veronica went to Pitt undergrad as well as Pitt Medical School. And I just remember Veronica being one of the most smartest people that I know. Super hardworking, just a really all around good person. And, you know, one of the things I remember her talking about is uh, what she went through when she lost her father. And it just really was such a powerful story. And, uh, and how she tells that story is just amazing and inspirational, how she really overcame that. And so when we were just thinking about topics and things to do, I just said, you know, I, I just really think Veronica would be a great person to bring on the show just to inspire us and talk about her story. So I won't get into too much of an introduction. I'll give anything away. But Veronica, if you could just introduce yourself to our listeners, I would love that. Thank you, Erica, for the introduction. I really appreciate all the kind words. I completed my undergrad at University of Pittsburgh and did my medical school at University of Pittsburgh as well. I then went on to an internal medicine residency at Duke University. And for a while, I didn't know what I was going to do. So I did hospital medicine for two years and then went to gastroenterology fellowship at The Ohio State University. Now, currently, I am in Jackson, Tennessee, where I practice rural community gastroenterology. Thank you. Thank you, Veronica. And just for the audience, gastroenterology is a physician that specializes in diseases of the GI tract. So she gets to put a really cool camera and take a look at the gut, if that's an interesting (laughs) way of putting it. (laughs) Thank you for the visual, Dr. Choa. (laughs) I got to break it down. Got to teach our audience a little something, something. Oh, man. Well, you know, thank you, Veronica, again. Let's just get into this. You know, I just want you to share a little bit about your story and tell us a little bit about your dad and what happened, because the reason we wanted to bring you on here was just to talk about how you as a physician interacted with the healthcare system with your father. And I know you lost him before you became a doctor, if I correct me if I'm wrong, but just share a little bit with our audience about that experience. I was coming back from board studying and I was about to take my board exam the next day or the next week. And I get home to my apartment. And at that time I was in the medical school dorms. And I remember opening the door and there was a medical student that's a friend. I don't know if I should say her name, mm-hmm. but she was standing <laughs> in my <laughs> living room with my roommate. And I'm and it was very late at night. It was probably 12 o'clock or one o'clock. And when I walked through the door, I was like, okay, what's what's going on? The vibe just seems off. 
And then all she told me was, you need to call your sister. And I was like, how do you know that I need to call my sister? How do you, how do you get, how does she even get in touch with you? But mind you, my phone is, I turned it off weeks ago and I threw it in the hamper. I threw it in my clothes hamper. Oh, so my I won't oh wow. <laughs> you were intense. Wow. Damn, girl. <laughs> that is some serious commitment to the process. Oh my wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's because, like, you know, you, you won't see it. You know, my, my theory is like, I won't see it. Clothes is going to be on top of it. It's never, it's not going to go anywhere. Man, I don't know if I can disconnect myself from my phone for that long. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it shows her spirit at the time. She was committed, you know. <laughs> So, oh, so what unfolds when you walk in that living room? What did they tell you? Uh, our friend from medical school at that time basically told uh, me that my sister couldn't get in touch with me on my phone. So she went through my Facebook and she tried to remember all the names of medical students that I talked about. And she went through my Facebook page and was just like, oh, this person, I know she she talks to that person. And mm-hmm. then she just starts messaging people. And so when she messaged her, luckily, that friend doesn't sleep <laughs> at all. Mm. So she saw the direct message. Then she went to my roommate because she lived across the hall from me. She mm. went to my roommate and was like, where's Veronica? And I think they tried my phone too, but they didn't know that I actually turned my phone off. So she waited until I came home. Mm. 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 And then so, she goes ahead and what does she tell you? So I call my sister and um, I have two sisters. So I have older sister, a couple of years older than me and a younger sister. Um, I call my younger sister because I know that she'll pick up her phone. Um, I call my younger sister and the, immediately the first thing I said to her, I'll never forget it, was somebody had better die. Mm. And mm. then she says to me, Nothing. She just gives the phone to my older sister. Then I knew mm-hmm. something was up. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What is going through your head, Veronica? Well, when she gave the phone to my sister, I felt like this isn't good. Because she didn't say anything and she's a very talkative person and she's very sarcastic. So when she didn't even do any of those things, I knew that it wasn't good news. Hmm. And at that time, did you know um, why your dad was in the hospital? Or at this time, do you have the information that your dad has been hospitalized? I don't even have the information that he's been hospitalized. Okay. So So, walk us through that, that conversation and what you end up finding out once, once you get on the phone with your older sister. So my older sister gets on the phone and then she tells me that, I needed to come home. And the reason why I needed to come home was because daddy was in the hospital. And then I'm like, well, how long he's been in the hospital? And she's like, you, he's been in the hospital for, I think that's about three weeks at that point. Oh my goodness. Um, three weeks, Veronica. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And he's not looking like he's turning around and that they need me to come home. So you find your way to the hospital. And when you get there, what do you find? When I get to the MICU, I'm the only one there because I think it was at 10 o'clock at night. I just roll up in the MICU and my dad is connected to the ventilator that time. And there's all these drains and everything just beeping. You know, that sound when you walk into the MICU. Mm-hmm. 
there was no one around because my family, I don't think they knew I came into town. I just came in and went straight to the BQ. And I asked to talk to a doctor to get like, the update because I knew what my family told me, but I wanted to hear what the doctor had to say. And the attending did come. He did come um, and then talk to me at that time, give me like an update of what's been going on with him. Do you mind sharing with the audience what was going on with him? My dad um, was in kidney failure, but he did have, he was already approaching kidney failure anyway. And mm -hmm. he didn't really say, he said, I don't really know what the cause of his seizure was. I was the one who said, do you think it's because he's uremic? Mm. And, and when I said that, he's like, are you a nurse? I was like, no, I'm a medical student. But why aren't you coming up with that differential? Is the thing I was thinking, of course. And he didn't really have any more answers for me at that point. Did he make it out of the hospital? He made it out that hospital. And he was going, because he was in the hospital so long, his next step was to do rehab. And then he was going to go home after, you know, the physical therapy and things like that, because he was so, so debilitated from being in the hospital that long, almost two mm -hmm. months. So, so Veronica, your, your dad is over here in, in the rehab. Fast forward a little bit about his next interaction with the healthcare system. During that rehab facility, he was on dialysis because he, he had end-stage renal disease, which he already had before all this happened. So at that point, everything was good. He could interact. He was actually talking a little bit more. So he was doing speech, could recognize everyone, doing the physical rehab, and was actually getting close to, to being home. So my sister's come back, come to Pittsburgh to bring me my car. And the day started off normal. We, we talked to my mom, she visited my dad with my brother, and she told us everything that he was doing and how everything was good. And they were setting up for discharge in the next couple of days. But then later that night, this is the same, this is the same night that my sisters came. We got a phone call from my mom saying that she got a phone call from the hospital and she doesn't know what's going on. But it was at that point, probably 12 o'clock at night. And I said to my sister, well, this is not, it's not good to get a, a phone call this late in the night. But we didn't tell her because, again, she has to go drive to this facility, which is about an hour away. What we did was we called my grandfather and an uncle who are coming from two different parts of the state. So one's coming from upper state, one's coming from the lower state to meet her at the hospital because we knew that it probably wasn't going to be good for her to be by herself mm -hmm. and to have to deal again, deal with that medical system by herself again. So we had them kind of meet her there. Mm -hmm. So when she gets there, what does she find? So when she gets there, she finds my dad is dead. Really? Mm -hmm. Just like that? Just like that. Oh my gosh. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. 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 Did anybody, so, okay, got you got to rewind this a little bit. Did anyone contact you when things went south? No. Did anyone contact your mom when things went south? Someone did, the hospital, and it was, and the, the, the sad part about it is it was a nurse that called. A nurse called my dad, I mean my mom. And she didn't pick up the phone at first, so he left a message on the voicemail and said, you need to call us back and left a number. And my mom called us. And, you know, of course, she's like, what's going on? And I was just like, I don't 
this is not good, but let's not ruffle her, you know, because she's going to go to this facility. But even they wouldn't give us any information. They wouldn't give me any information over the phone. They said they needed to talk to her, which I already knew at that point is probably bad. So what, what um, when she gets to the hospital or to that facility, what do they tell her um, in regards to the cause of death? They didn't tell her anything. They just told her that he had he went into cardiac arrest, but they didn't go into detail about how it happened. And of course, she's at that time distraught. So and she she called me. And luckily, when she gets there, my grandfather and my uncle got there at the same time. And they're a lot more <laughs> they're a lot more pushy than my mom. So and of course, you know, they're going to want more answers because she can't give answers right now because she's dealing with her grief and disbelief in this moment. Who gave her the the the, the news, Veronica? Does she remember that? I believe it was the nurse at first, mm-hmm. and then the doctor came up later. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm hearing your story, and I'm thinking about when I have to give bad news um, in the hospital. And genuinely, genuinely, I, I want to have all the family with me. And I like to be the one to give the bad news rather than the nurse, rather than mm-hmm. you know anybody else, because ultimately I'm responsible for that patient. And mm-hmm. I try to go through and, and talk about what I think is going on. And so I'm just I'm just visualizing your mom in this situation, hearing that her husband is dead and just being in a state of disbelief and just not having that information and just so much goes to my mind and just tell, what are you, what are you thinking? How are your emotions? So this is the part that actually makes me really sad about how my mom found out because when she first went to, I don't know if he was in the emergency room or where he was at that point or the ICU um, at, in that part of the hospital. But when she went there, she goes there and she actually goes straight to his room and to her, he looks like he's asleep. So she touches oh, him. Oh my but, goodness. Mercy. Yeah, and tries and tries to actually wake him up. And she said that to me when she called us, she said that he was still warm. So she still thought he was asleep. It, I mean, it was a shock for us, too, because when she calls us, she's crying. And then it just confirmed what we already, what we already knew, probably. Wow. So I'm very sorry to hear this because I can so much I can empathize with you because I can visualize the trauma that is taking place right where Mm -hmm. you have the family members your mom you being far away at that time getting this news but you have no context nothing to like apply your grief to and you don't have from what I'm hearing the support system within the medical team to walk you through what may have happened. So you left wondering what's going on. I was getting ready to take my dad home. And the next thing I hear is that he's dead, but I don't have any answers as of why. Now, just, I want to just give you a moment and give the audience a moment to process that because that's what's happening many times in our system, right? Where, especially now with all the, what's happening with the pandemic, Erica 
shared with us many times how like the system is overwhelmed. You experienced this years ago. Do you find being an internal medicine doc and GI specialist today that things have changed a little bit more in the way we communicate with patients? Not at all. Even today, I feel like there's really poor communication between family members and teams. And that's, that's, that's something that bothers me a whole lot because I feel like we, we in a position where we, we have these patients that are looking up to us, coming to us with these issues. And I feel like sometimes we just fail them and I'm trying to find the words to understand what we could have done differently, where the gaps are, and why we're we not able to to fix that communication issue that we see play out over and over and over again with patients' experiences. So, well, and 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 I'm bringing this up because, like, I I I can hear even till this day, like the pain in your voice as you share this story. Yeah, I mean, I never went this far with anyone. This is the most I've ever told anybody about what happened that day. Hmm. Well, thank you for having the courage to hmm. share this with us. It's very difficult to hear, but it's a story that needs to be shared because I know there are many people listening who who have experienced that, who are experiencing it now. And I'm sure hearing it from you is giving them some sort of some sort of emotional um, connection with you. So thank you for sharing that. But Erica, I want to hear your thoughts your thoughts on this mm-hmm. because you deal with this more than I do, right? Breaking bad news to family. Mm. What do you yeah. think about this scenario? I honestly think this is a, a topic that I'm, I actually am really passionate about. I do pride myself with the fact that I try to communicate well with my patients. And one of the things that when I give bad news or when I'm trying to update patients is, you know, you have to read the room a little bit. You know, you you have to read the room. You have to try to bring things down um, to a level that people may understand what is going on and can really have a clear picture, a clear picture of what happened to their family member. And sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you generally don't know, but you just, there's a certain level of truthfulness that you need to have. And and sometimes it's, it's painful to have that truthfulness with the patient because you don't want to be too detailed. But I remember one of the things that one of my attendings somewhere along the line said is you just have to be honest with the patient and communicate well. And I think, you know, obviously this podcast, we really try to address issues that affect people of color. And I truly, truly believe that a lot of times, depending on who it is, that that information is not communicated well with us. You know, you you, you all have the case where you talk to somebody and you're like, you know, sir, do you know that you have, I think I had somebody come in with complications of prostate cancer. And I talked to this guy and I said, you have prostate cancer, sir. Are you aware of that? said, no. And I'm looking through all the records and I'm seeing that he's seen a urologist. He's seen people here. And I'm saying, sir, you you have seen certain people. They have diagnosed you with prostate cancer. Are you? He's like, 
no, they just told me that there's something wrong with my prostate and they want me to see all these people. And I'm thinking, okay, all right, all right. Am I reading the same chart? They have told this male, you know, this African-American male that he has cancer. They're documenting it. It's all here. But his understanding is he does not have cancer. Mm -hmm. So where did the communication break down? Why is he unaware of his medical diagnosis? Mm Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. everybody else on documentation is aware of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And why is it that the documentation does not translate into a human report? Because that's where it gets me, right? Because I see scenarios like that, just as you described, but I feel like it does, We for some reason, that documentation never gets translated properly enough for the patient sometimes to walk away feeling like I'm, I know exactly what's going on with me. I feel empowered to address what's going on with me. And I know where to find the resources to address what's going on with me. Right. Mm. And you find, at least in our experience, that the gap occurs many, many times um, when we deal with patients of color, when we deal with patients of different socioeconomical background for many reasons, but we see that play out over and over and over again. Yeah. When I look at, I think about your case, Veronica, and I'm just thinking, and you know, you've told your story from A to Z and I'm just thinking, I still don't understand what happened to your dad in all of that, in his hospitalization, the first time in his time at the rehab, I'm not understanding. And I don't know if that's how you were feeling. Yes. I can't say what was the initial cause for him to go into the hospital the first time. I don't know. I do have his his medical records, but as you can imagine, I can't read that. Hmm. What was your takeaway at the end that, you know, when you look back now, what do you think happened to your dad? In the beginning or what caused him to die? So talk about both. Talk about what caused him to die. Well, I know the cause of his death was a medical error. Hmm. So talk about that a little bit more. Of course, in all this commotion, my mom is not in a state where she can actually, again, communicate with someone and make any decisions at this point. So but my uncle, so I forgot there were actually two uncles there, my my grandfather and one of his sons. And then my uncle from my dad's side, the family, his mother, sister, his mother's brother. Sorry. And they are stepping in as basically like, no, you need to give us some answers. And I think the nurse actually couldn't handle it at this point. So he got the doctor involved. And I think the doctor should have already been there when she walked through the door. Should never, ever let her come into the McHugh to see that or wherever he was to see him like that before telling him what her actual what happened. One of my uncles had the wherewithal to actually leave where he was for the emergency setting and go to the room that he was in. And he said when he went into the room that he was originally in, it was a bloodbath. And so what happened was my dad being on dialysis, as we know how dialysis machines work, there's a, a line that take blood away from your body and into the machine. And then there's a line that comes back from the machine into your body to return the blood back to your body. So what happened was he was left alone, which is, again, unprecedented. It should never happen when you're doing dialysis because you can lose a lot of blood very quickly. 
um, was left alone, one of these lines got dislodged. And instead of the blood coming back to his body, it went all across the whole room, mm. which is why he ended up in, in cardiac arrest. So he bled to death, Veronica. Mm. Yes. But the thing is, they did resuscitate him. They did resuscitate him the first time. They didn't put a line in. Did they give him he blood? Talk- they did not give him blood. And he was talking to them. He was talking and mm. was like, you know, and, and this is what this is what I read after the fact. So I read the nurse's note. And I read whatever they have to do for the codes. And then, you know, they resuscitated him. And of course, because they didn't give him any blood, they gave him fluids. What's going to happen next? He's going to die. He's going to die. This is so much time. I have, I, have so, I have so many questions. So much time I have so many questions. Because I'm listening to this and I'm wondering if you have a patient who is go who is um has had a hemorrhagic shock based on what you described that's what it sounds like mm-hmm. why are we not giving blood mm-hmm. right why are we not giving blood well like you said there's so much to unpack here but what i'm hearing mostly is the fact that you discover after the fact that there was some sort of medical error that took place but mm-hmm. you were never debriefed on it, correct? No. Okay. It was never shared no. with you. It was never shared with you. No. The nurse kind of said something to my mom, like, hey, some things went down that it shouldn't have and left it at that. And then when my uncle went up to the room because he was, uh, of course, not happy with what was going on. Um, and when he saw that there was blood everywhere, he's just like, no, this is some something else is going on, which is why I also pressured my mother to make sure she doesn't leave until he actually leaves, go to the you know medical examiner instead of the morgue. So you know what I'm what I'm thinking about here is, and I hate to say this because I'm a doctor, you all are doctors. This is why people lose trust in our system. In this us. is why this <laughs> is why this yeah. is why. Black people are scared to go into the hospital. I know during COVID, I've had people, people look like me who literally said, I refuse to be admitted because I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to make it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. But are they wrong? They're not they're wrong. Not wrong they, they, I mean, they, they're not wrong. And historically, we've we, we seen that, like the, the racial disparities that happens in the care that is delivered to patients. Mm-hmm. We see it all the time in different fields that we're in. So they're not wrong. It's, and that's the reason why we we sharing these personal stories, right? Because it's one thing to read a study. It's another to hear a story. And this story really breaks my heart because even as member of the medical field, you couldn't do anything about how it went down. Hmm. And that must be the most frustrating part for you too. Yes. I, it took a lot of, I would say grief counseling to reckon with the fact that I went into medicine because of my dad and I lost him because of medicine. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. How does how does that affect how you practice, Veronica? So the one shining like a light I will say is that it taught me how to communicate with patients. And I think Erica, you were saying earlier about 
talking to the family, even when bad situations or bad news and just being honest. Mm -hmm. And I talk, I don't use any medical language with my, my, my patients at all. And if I slip up and say something, then I say it in plain, in plain English. I don't care if you are in medicine or if you're not in medicine. I really, I really, I don't even, I don't use any medical language. I just say, you know, you know, I'm in GI now. So I'm like, looks like you're having some bleeding from your colon. This is what we're going to do. This is why I'm doing it. And I explain the scope very plainly, like a first grader could tell me what I'm going to do. Um, and I think that helps and it makes people feel more comfortable because you're talking to them on a, on a level they can understand. And I always be honest about what I can and cannot do upfront, what I will see after it's done. And I always tell my patients, even in clinic, if you are not comfortable with the care that you're getting, even as my, even as my patient and I'm your doctor, you should go someplace where you get that care. Mm. Mm. I, I actually, I, I want you to repeat that because that is, you know, a very important, important, important thing. If you are not happy with the care you are getting, you need to go somewhere where you feel that you are being heard. That's a powerful statement. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm searching for words because I'm very, I'm very distraught by the story you shared, right? Cause there's so much, there's so much going through my mind right now. But one thing that I would like to hear from you is what would you looking back today again, um, how would you have wanted to hear what was going on? Like in, even with the knowledge of the medical error, because I think it's important for us also as physicians, right? Sitting here to hear the perspective of the patient, because there's always this fear that people may experience when they face bad outcome that is driving their behavior and their communication style, when communicating with the patient. And I just want to hear from you. How would you have wanted to hear what happened now that you have the information that you have? So me and my sisters, so for, we didn't talk about this early, but my sisters actually just um, became nurses. They did a accelerated nursing program at that same medical university of South Carolina. And they are now nurses. But now after they completed their training, one thing they said to me was, you know, what we should have done when daddy was in the hospital is we should have um, pressed the team to meet with us as a family from mm -hmm. the beginning. Mm -hmm. And right. as things was, as things was progressing. And then when we went to MUSC, same thing. And I said, yes, because I had had many of conversation with families when I did my medical ICU rotations or any other uh, ICU rotations like that to say, hey, this is what we've been doing. He's been here for two weeks. This is what's looking good. This is not what looking look, looks good. What are we going to do from here? Where are you with your goals? You know, goals mm -hmm. of care. And I, I don't and I don't feel like it's a bad thing to bring up goals of care with family. People feel like that's saying you're giving up on the family. It not necessarily means that. It just means to know like what what do you want me to do? And if I think this is futile, I should tell you in that meeting, right? But um, if I think that we still have grounds and, you know, we keep going, then we keep going. I think that should have happened while he was in the hospital. 
in terms of after he died, I think what should have happened was they should have been honest about mm. the fact that he was left alone and they should have said how they were going to remedy that. Mm. But they yeah. didn't. Yeah. Mm. Honesty and transparency for sure. Mm. For sure. And it, it sounds very simple, yet we struggle with that, right? We struggle with that. And it's something that we have to practice as physicians. We have to practice that. And unfortunately, there are times where we fail our patients. And I'm using the term we because I want to make sure that I'm not deflecting the blame and saying, you know, I'm not part of that community. We all part of the, the medical community. And I think that, you know, sometimes we have to recognize where we failing our patients, right? Mm-hmm. And this is an area of an opportunity. This is, a, this is an opportunity for growth, hearing stories like that. And I thank you for sharing your story today with us. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I just want us to end on one note and, and really is Veronica, if you had to tell our audience how they can safeguard themselves from medical error or bad outcomes in the hospital, like what would be something you tell them? So after this has happened, I I started thinking about how we can do more for ourselves and not not as a family, but I'm just going to be honest and say as Black people in the medical system. And what I learned by being in medicine through residency, through medical school, and all my training and practice, is I learned that the families that make the most noise get heard. Mm. So That is very true. Mm. That is very true. For real. Mm-hmm. So I always tell my my sisters and anybody else that will listen, even my patients, I say, you don't have to know everything that's going on in terms of what the doctor is saying, but you should tell your family members what is going on with you. So when you can't make that decision yourself or can't talk for yourself and someone has to step in and make decisions for you, they can start making some noise because when they make noise because they're not getting the care, you're not getting the care that you deserve, they can, that can, they Things will move. But if they kind of just let people just do what they're going to do, you get overlooked and things get missed and no one will ever talk about it and no one will ever know. Mm-hmm. So have strong advocates in your corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Oh, guys. Well, you know, thank you so much. This has been super informal conversation and I'm just happy that we were able to have it. Thank you for letting me share. Absolutely. Well, this is Hey Doc, Let's Chat. I'm Dr. Karina Ostani. And I'm Dr. Pindela Erika Choa. Until next time.